forever. Dog. So I auditioned for this. It was late in pilot season, I remember, you know, and, but it was already picked up and it was going to be between Seinfeld and ER. I mean, you could have put snow on the air at that time and gotten 28 million viewers. Welcome to Household Faces, the podcast where a character actor interviews other character actors. I'm your host, John Ross Bowie. You might know me from Speechless, The Big Bang Theory, or that episode of Netflix's Love where Gillian Jacobs takes a bunch of Ambien and then fires me over the phone. Our guest this episode is Nestor Carbonell. You know Nestor from Suddenly Susan, from Lost, from The Morning Show, from the Dark Knight movies. He's been working steadily for a quarter century. Really, really interesting guy with a really interesting background. Uh, maybe you've just seen him walking around uh, uh, our neighborhood uh, with his very aggressive dog, who makes a couple of appearances in the episode. Please welcome Nestor Carbonell. Like, um, oh, and we, we overhear it. We're like, oh, that's that dog. You know, stay away from that dog. Because this dog, it's tiny. It will go after everyone. She loves us, but I mean, you know, hates everyone else. So she's the bad girl of the neighborhood. Yeah. She's got a lovely reputation for that, for being the bad girl of the neighborhood. It's it's such a crazy dog-friendly neighborhood. And uh, uh, Nestor and I have just discovered that we live pretty near each other. And um, I have two dogs and one is super, super friendly. And, um, one is a sociopath. And so the people will come up and like, Oh, can I pet your dog? So I'm like, you can pet this one. And then you really want to give this one as much room as you possibly can. Uh, Isn't that funny if, how that is? If my terrier has ever attacked you or your dog, I apologize in hindsight. No need because I'm sure mine would have started that fight. I mean, this, this dog is, I mean, we love her, but you know, she's a nightmare. She really, truly is. And, and hated, uh, you know, uh, by the neighborhood. I mean, I no, I've seen, I've seen the posters. So let me volunteer information about you that you probably don't like to volunteer about yourself too often. You went to Harvard. Yes. <laughs> and my friends who, who went to Harvard um, uh, are always very, very hesitant. And they always, you know, they always euphemize Boston. Um, and I give them hell for that. And I start asking, oh, Tufts. Oh, BU. Oh, Holy Cross. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, right. Um, but so you went to Harvard and that's where you got the acting bug, but you weren't a theater major. No, and I think back back then, I mean, I'm going to date myself. Back then, there was no, I think there there was a VES uh, major, which is a visual something studies uh, major back then, but it wasn't an acting. It didn't offer any uh, acting classes per se. There was one elective uh, at at the time. There's an introduction to acting that was offered um, there, and I took it, and it was uh, David Wheeler was the teacher, and. He's, you know, he's renowned in Boston and in the acting world. I think he was Pacino's coach. He worked with Pacino also. He did a lot of stage plays with Pacino. So he was, and he's, he was amazing. He's, he's this incredible teacher. That was the sole acting class that was available there. But it was because of that class and what he, and he introduced us to a few books, Uda Hagen on acting, which, you know, it, you know, a lot of people, a lot of actors have read, but it wasn't until I read um, Meisner on acting, Sanford Meisner on acting. And that is that book specifically is what wanted was was what made me want to become an actor, or at least certainly investigate it and study it. And that's so yeah, it was, that was the genesis. And then I took a, a class at the ART, uh, the American Repertory Theater, which is affiliated with Harvard, um, and they offered a you know a, a Shakespeare uh, class. And that's you know I you know I took that one and. Uh, that was about it. And then just plays in the basements. That's what we did. You know, student run plays in the basements. We couldn't do the big productions, you know, unless you were part of the ART. And, uh, and then, and that's, that's kind of, that's where I started. What, um, who was your teacher over at ART? Jeremy Geit, 
who was a, a, a British actor, um, and he was I, I, one of the things I remember is like you know <laughs> teaching us all how to breathe <laughs> correctly for our theater voices, and he was like. Remember, you need to breathe through your back. Use your diaphragm. And it was all, there was a lot of diaphragm work. Um, no, he was great. He was great. And he had such a great energy. And uh, yeah, and that was sort of, but that was the beginning. It was the introductory class and, you know, in a basic Shakespeare acting class. When you say plays in the basement, because uh, I know there's a smaller black box at ART. Do you mean there or do you mean like actual basements around Boston? Both. We did. We, that was the experimental theater, that, that black box at the ART. And I did do a, uh, at least I know, a, a two plays there I did. But then we would audition, you know, for plays that were that were often performed, yes, in basements of, I think it was Dunster or if it was uh, Kirkland or, you know, I, I don't think an Elliott House, maybe an Elliott House, you know. But it, all these houses, you know, had basements. And so that's how, you know, the students may do is you just sort of put up a show there and just line up some chairs and create your four walls, you know, essentially. What stuff did you do? What plays? Oh, my God. I did one. Um, oh, I, you know, I, we did Extremities. I, that was the one that oh I- Oh, my God. Which was rough. So I, I, uh, I played that horrible role, you know, um, and that one we did too. Let's, let's just for, for the listener who, uh, who uh, is about to have their, their, their podcast listening experience rocked, the character is? The character is a, a rapist, you know, yeah. and, uh, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a really, it, it's a very strong play. You know, it was, a, I think it was a film turned into a play or, was it, or vice versa. I can't remember right now. I think it was a play first. And then, then it was filmed with Farrah Fawcett, right? It was Farrah Fawcett. Yeah, that's right. She she played the uh, the woman. Yeah, that's right. So James Russo played the part in the uh, I think it was an HBO film. I want to say it was HBO, and he was just amazing. And so uh, the students wanted to do. A, I can't remember who directed that particular play, but I auditioned for it and ended up getting that part. And uh, it was rough. It was rough. I mean, that was that was sort of one of the first things I did. My God. That's a baptism by fire. That is a lot because the thing is that she, he 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 rapes her, but then she she gets her revenge within the context of the play. She does. She does. Yes, absolutely. She does get revenge, and yeah, and it's 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 full on. I mean, it's it's you know, I think we're on stage. I think pretty much the entire time, and um, yeah. So that was yeah, that was that was yeah, that was sort of the beginning, and it was all of that that really got me to to want to pursue really more theater. You know, initially theater. Um, and I did. I, and I subsequently, uh, over a summer, I think it was uh, after sophomore year. Yeah, after sophomore year, I, I was able to get a play off, off Broadway, New York, another two-hander, uh, this thing called A Silent Thunder. It was at the Apple Corps Theater. Uh, sadly, we were the last play of the Apple Corps Theater. <laughs> so where, where where was the Apple Corps? It was on, it was on the west side. I think I want to say west, um, uh, 10th. It was on 10th. It was, uh, you know, on the, the west side of, of, of Manhattan, on the lower west side. Meatpacking district kind of. Exactly. Yeah. And it was a 99 seat theater. And uh, but it was an incredible experience for a kid in college to do this two hander. For me, it was an extraordinary gift. And at that point, I, I, I thought, OK, I really want to give this a shot. And I, then I dropped the bomb on my parents and God bless them. They were they were great. I think much better than I would have been. <laughs> um, and then I was like, yeah, I'm going to, I'll finish. And I did, I ended up finishing, uh, you know, and co finished college. And then, and then, uh, after that, I, I starved for three years. Did you have a, um, uh, before you discovered the acting bug, did you have a game plan for your English major? You, it was, you got your degree in English, right? Yeah, I was an English major. I had none. No. And that was the <laughs> trick is that I had no plan. I think, I think I went there, you know, and this is the, 
it's so I think it, it it adds a lot of confusion to I think a lot of a lot of young people you know going into college not knowing what you want to commit to. The one great thing about liberal arts education is that you have a little bit of time to try and figure it out. You're like, you're kind of almost waiting in water thinking, okay, I'll take a few classes, maybe. And then you have to get real. Okay, am I going to go into business? You know, the traditional things, am I going to law? Am I going to go to medicine? Am I going to start a business? Am I, you know, what, what is it? Or am I going to go in the arts? Or, you know, engineering? Got, you know. So you have a little bit of time to figure it out. Um, and and I thought, oh, I'll figure this out, and I'll probably end up in law. My my dad was a lawyer, and then went into business. I'll probably do something conventional. But I quickly realized, I go, I think I, I don't think that that I'm cut out for that. I I don't think I could be confined to those four walls, and strictly to that kind of work because I've always been into. I used to draw a lot. I used to paint a lot, and I so I was always drawn more to the arts. Um, so I tried, uh, advertising. I thought that would be a cool sort of, you know, way to sort of a, a hybrid. I was like, oh, I can, I can be creative and also be in sort of in business. And, uh, and I quickly learned that, you know, it was not creative enough for me, for my taste. Um, so I, I did, I did an internship at, at uh, BBDO and then one at Saatchi and Saatchi. And, uh, and that's about as far as I took it. After that, I was like, I, I, I can't, I, I gotta just go all the way, uh, take a swing. And if I, if I miss, I miss, you know, and then I'll crawl back and do something else. So one of the first hits was work in, uh, on a soap. Um, uh, wait, which one was it? As the world turns? As the world turns is the one where I did most of it. I, I think the first thing I did was, was a, a like an, an under five on, on loving, which is I literally poured wine and I might've said something in Italian or French. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Or maybe, I don't even know. Or maybe I just nodded. I can't remember. No, I think I did say one line or something and they, they call you it got under, your five. under five. You, you got your my under five, five lines. Exactly. I got my under five lines. I was now part of AFTRA. I was very excited and I worked on my, my, my twirl of the, of the, the wine as I poured it. And, you know, so I think, I, I think loving might've been my first gig. And then I don't know if I did, did I do anything on all my children. Back then in New York, all you could do was, you know, 1989 and 90, all you could do was either soap, you know, or theater. And then the odd film that they would come sometimes and cast, you know, you know, from Hollywood, they come to New York. Oh, let's see, let's see what actors are available in New York. Those, you know, a few independent films, you know, and a, you know, and the handful of studio films that would come over. That was it. It was that and the because I grew up in New York, uh, and it was um, the Cosby Show. Law and Order wasn't a thing yet, um, so it was it was all the soaps and 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 theater. Um, uh, yeah. So, so an under five is an interesting thing because it's no, I don't think it's in a, a class since the, since the, um, since the unions merged, I don't think a U five is a thing anymore. Um, but it was, it, yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was, uh, it was, it was exactly what it sounds like. You had five lines or less and, uh, but it could, if you were, if you lived in the boroughs, it could pay your rent. <laughs> hey, listen, I, I I wasn't complaining. I was just, you know, I was a young punk. You know, I was like nineteen or eight. You know, I, you know, I was still in college. I was like, yeah, I'll, t- I'll take what? Hey, twenty dollars? I'll take twenty dollars. Um, did you do any under fives? Did you? Uh, I couldn't get any soap work, but when I got my start in the later nineties, I took I took a little bit longer to find my my footing. U fives were a thing you could get on Conan's show when Conan was still in New York. You could get sketch work on Conan, and if you got a U five, you were the envy of your friends. And rent was covered. If you got a principal, rent and utilities were covered. Um, but that's when Astoria was affordable. 
Um, now we're getting we're getting way too New York uh, centric for the moment. It, it, it has been my experience that the people I've worked with who, who cut their teeth in soaps are machines, however, that they're just they have a level of because they're shooting like 10 to 15 pages a day, five days a week. It is a work schedule that is unique among among acting jobs. Did you find that? Did you find that it was just a really steep learning curve? Big time. I mean, I, and I was terrible. I mean, they, you know, it's, <laughs> sadly now with YouTube, you know, all of that stuff is online. And I'm like, <laughs> nothing dies. Nothing truly vanishes. <laughs> I thought I was like, oh, that thing is done, you know? And I was like, oh no, it's so bad. It's like shockingly bad. And I'm like 19. I play this like, you know, uh, this this uh, dictator of, fictitious, of a fictitious Latin, you know, Latin country. And at 19, and I've got a beret for all, <laughs> and I've got this perfectly placed, like, you know, dust as makeup. And it's in my acting. I mean, I'm just so bad. I'm so green. I've done nothing at this point. And I remember fly, I was flying back and forth. I booked it over, I think, the end of the, at the end of a summer in, in co- you know, while I was doing college. I was going to college. And then I was, I got the gig and it was recurring. So they would just call me and say, we need you, blah, 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 this such, such a date. I'm like, well, I've got classes, but okay, I'll just, and back then you could take a shuttle, you know, this was like, this might've been 90, 1990, right around there. So you're still, you're still in college. I'm still in college. Yeah. So I'm flying back and forth. I got like a pack of 10 tickets from New York to Boston and like, you can get a deal and then you just hop on these shuttles and I just like, oh, you know what? I'm just gonna, you know, I'm just gonna cut. I'm just gonna go there, go do my do my little soap thing for the day, and then fly back, and then go to class the next day. And so I was doing that until it got to the point where I was like, I couldn't swing it anymore, and I had to ask. I said, you know, listen, I can't. I'm just gonna, you know, I'm missing too many classes. But yes, to answer your question, um, I was terrible, but it was a great exercise. And like, look, you're thrown to the wolves. You basically had, you know. Only two takes if you messed up the first take. And then it's usually a pickup. You don't get to start from scratch necessarily. So you're, you're seeing all the ugliness of, of trying to find the material as you're doing it. Um, so these I have tremendous respect for soap, soap opera actors who, who've been in this game for so long. One of them is, is a friend of mine, Maurice Bernard. I haven't, you know, I've, I've lost touch with him, but he, he's, you know, he's on General Hospital and I mean, incredible. This guy's incredible. He makes it look so effortless and it's mounds. I remember visiting him on set thinking, you've got to do 15 pages today. He goes, yep, yep. Because can you just run him once with me? And he was, he was incredible. I mean, he, and making that material, you know, uh, uh, believable, honest, and, and, you know, so incredibly hard, especially when it's the night before, you know. No, I have tremendous respect for soap actors. When when they show up on set and I and I get a chance to work with them and they they show up with their whole monologue just completely under their fingers in their bones. I'm like, oh yeah, you obviously. If I check your IMDb page, it's a bunch of soap work because they're just steel traps. Everyone I've ever worked with, they're so 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 fast. Just in the in the simple technical quality of getting off book quickly, um, just. Yeah, it's astonishing to watch. Was there a part of you, and we're going to get a little heavy for a moment, was is there a part of you, you know, the late 80s are a different time than right now. Was there a part of you that was like, really, like, uh, this is what's available for a, a, a Latino actor? Uh, a, a You're going to make up a country and make me the general thereof? You know, I mean, I, I didn't... It didn't bother me because at the time, first of all, I'm 19. I, I I certainly wasn't thinking about that at the time. I was just like, hey, I'm just happy to get a gig, you know. And you know, and you know, but to that point, it's interesting, you know, for for young, you know, young actors who who want to know about getting into this business. I always talk about that. I always find that for me, uh, 
you being Latino, you know, it's it's a double edged sword in terms of like being pigeonholed into anything, really. But but this town that they, they you know, for all intents and purposes, that you know, they I think they want to peg you, they want to put you in a category, so it's easy to slot you into something. And so it's double edged in the sense that you kind of get placed in one category and it's hard to move out of it. But that's sort of the the trick of any actor is like you 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 want to make a mark. You want to get somehow noticed. So, so in that respect, you narrow your market by by being specific. Like, say, okay, I'll do accented Latino actors for a while, and I'll be known as that guy. There's probably like maybe six guys who can do that in my age, you know, and my type, you know. So now I'm not competing. Sorry, that's that's that lovely dog that everyone loves. If you can hear her in the background, I feel like she's going to burst through the screen and attack me. Yeah, she's she's going to get my neck before she gets yours. But yes, yeah, she's liable <laughs> to do that. Um, but no. But so that, so it's a double edged sword. Yet you you, it's a great way to narrow your market to find something specific that you you know you can you can sort of be in contention with and, and hopefully do well, uh, and then it's your job as an actor to to murder those roles and then say okay let me branch out and I'll go do something else. So I was even if it was sort of the stereotypical thing, I was like, look, I'm grateful just to, to cut my teeth into something. And then, you know, if anything, maybe I'll write something to break myself out of this, these kinds of roles or I'll, or I'll just, you know, I'll just take swings at other roles and see what, what I connect with. But I never looked at it as a liability. You know, I just always looked at it as an opportunity. Let's talk, let's, let's, having gotten super heavy for a moment, let's talk about comedy. I think a lot of people, myself included, you came on our radar with sort of one-two punch of Suddenly Susan and The Tick, one of which was a, a standard multicam shot in front of a live studio audience. And one was a single cam comedy, but a single cam comedy when those were not the norm by any stretch. Let's back up for a second though. So Suddenly Susan, multicam shot in front of a live studio audience, you rehearse all week and then you tape. Um, what was your experience like doing that? Do you enjoy doing multicam? Do you? You know, it's it's. I love the context you you, you put this in because you're right. People, you know, people who didn't grow up at that time or didn't know about this, it was a time when it was it was, and it, it all comes in waves. You know, where four camera sitcoms were were everything. It was that, or you know, at the time it was that, or ER. You know, it's you know whatever. <laughs> what and whatever genre hits, there's always like three offshoots in every other network. ER, then it became Chicago Hope, and I don't know what other medical drama. You know, or it's westerns, and now it's westerns. So, but back then in the early '90s, it was all because of you know it was Cheers initially, then it was then it was Seinfeld, you know, and then Friends. You know, those things were just like monsters, monsters. So we, so when I auditioned for Suddenly Susan, it was Brooke Shields. It was I was actually auditioning for a new cast. They had they had picked up a pilot of Brooke Shields to air. Um, based on her work, actually her guest star on Friends. She had guested on Friends and, and, and Warren Littlefield, the president of NBC at the time said, I'm going to do it, build a show around you. And they'd shot a pilot, um, but they weren't happy with it. So they said, no, let's reconceive this and let's keep, obviously keep Brooke and then we'll cast the rest. So, so I auditioned for this. It was late in pilot season, I remember, you know, and, but it was already picked up and it was going to be between Seinfeld and ER. I mean, you could have put snow on the air at the time and gotten 28 million viewers, you know, it was... <laughs> Absurd. So I remember going into that. And again, this is going back to your other question and thinking, how do I narrow the market for myself here? And it was a role and it was Latino, right? But it doesn't, didn't say accented uh, per se, but I thought 
the language here kind of lends itself to an accent. It's almost like I, I brought that. They didn't suggest it. And I go, it's so, it's elevated language. It's so, there's so much poetry here, you know, and I, and there's a friend of mine who's, who stayed here, who, you know, was going to stay here. He stayed for my cousin's wedding and he, he, he we became friends He's, and he decided to stay six months and basically live here. And, and I, and we lived here, you know, broke and just crazy things. And, you know, we're in early twenties and I, and I said, I'm going to do this guy. I'm literally going to copy this dude and I'm going to bring him to this role. And I'd been, you know, I've been hanging out with a guy with, with, for six months, this guy from Madrid. And that's what I did. And it, and it seemed to work for them. Um, and, and, uh, and then I was cast and, and then, you know, and then off we went to do this thing. Um, to answer your question, is it something I enjoyed? I, I mean, I loved working. <laughs> I loved working every day. It's not a medium that, that I was, no, it's not a medium. I loved, and I'll tell you why it, it, it's so fear-based and I don't know with your experience on big, on big bang, you know, obviously being on it and doing so many sitcoms yourself. It's so fear-based. I saw so many people get fired. I was fired off my first sitcom as a guest star. I didn't know how it worked. I figured, ah, oh, you know, this is like a play. But by, by Friday, we work on it. We, we feel it out. No, you're, you're, you're hired to hit your lines from the moment you sit down to a table read through every run-through. And if you don't, your job is in jeopardy. I saw so many people, and I have nightmare stories of people getting fired, love interests of mine. I mean, uh, people playing my love interest on us, you know, having to see them get fired, knowing they're getting fired because I've been told that and then still having to rehearse with them and auditioning someone else to replace them and having to do a run through with them and being told I cannot tell the actress this. I mean, this crazy stuff. So I've, I, I, I'd experienced the cutthroat nature of sitcom and, and how fear-based it is. And you're, you're essentially auditioning your role almost every line unless you're the lead. You know, everyone else is expendable. I also knew that your focus group, every, every episode. And so on Suddenly Susan, they were, they were, there were focus groups in Vegas judging every one of our performances week to week. And at some point I was told by the casting director, uh, Tony Sepulveda, he goes, um, uh, yeah, pretty much everyone was on the chopping block at some point, you know, I mean, it was, it was, you know, and, and so you just didn't know, you know, and even, and I remember at the end of this, at the, the first season, I remember Tony telling me, because you realize that there was a, a guest star fired almost every week after every table read on the first season of Suddenly Susan. And, and that's how, so, so for that reason alone, I, I didn't love it. I didn't love that. I love the people. I loved getting to work. I loved getting to do that role. But the environment was so stressful, you know, from my experience of it and knowing what I, you know, what I, what I saw that it wasn't a medium I loved. Single camera, getting to do the tick was something completely different. Because at that point, I think, uh, you know, you're, you're essentially shooting in a vacuum. It's not airing. So you're like, there's no focus groups. So I was like, you know, this is like doing a film. I can just take chances here. If I whiff, I whiff, you know, I, there's another take. Great. So that, that relaxed me. And also it, it lends itself more to film. So it's the comedy Sitcom is such a hybrid. It's a weird, and I don't know how you found this, but it's not theater. It's not film. So let's talk a little bit about that kind of adjustment. Do you find yourself, if you're doing a multicam, do you find yourself consciously adjusting? Because there is an audience, but you are also being filmed. But the audience is at a bit of a distance. But the camera is also framing you probably waist up 
most of the time. You know, do you do you get yourself in your head about those kind of technical variations? You can't help. You can't help because you're you're being sort of guided by the director that week, uh, saying, you know, yeah, you want you might want to, you know, to be a little bigger. Oh, that means I'm not pl- I'm not I'm not inviting the audience in here. And yet, okay, don't don't tip the joke. Oh, go, oh, I'm being I'm I'm just I'm I'm being so obvious about this joke, and I'm and I'm giving it away. And, uh, and, and maybe I can throw this one, this line away a bit more. It'll be funnier, but whatever. So you're, you're sort of guided, you know, by code as to levels, you know, you know, and by, you know, and, and I had a great, uh, director, William Charles, uh, no, um, is it Will McKenzie? Uh, yeah. Will, William Charles McKenzie, I believe. Yes. He's the one who did the pilot for the, this, the, my first sitcom as a series regular was called Muscle, which is where I met my wife. It was one of the fir- uh, first shows to launch the WB. We we're on the first lineup, which later became the CW. This is the two of us sitting at the front porch of our old folks' home right now, talking pretty about much, the, yeah, the yeah. days of the WB. I, I once got fired from a UPN sitcom, so I'm right there with you. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, great. Let me just move my walker over here. So, you can- <laughs> so anyway, so I'm so I remember this director who's incredible because we would I, we would do a joke in rehearsal, and he'd be goes, "Yeah, that's great, and that's funny because you did did this." And, and, and I'm thinking, oh, he's that at first it didn't register. I was like, oh, that's so nice that he thinks it's funny. And then I was like, no, no, no. He's reminding me why that joke worked so that I know the mechanics behind the joke. (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs) And, and I was like, wow, that's so smart. I go, I will always use that. So the jokes, so when you hit a joke, it's not by accident anymore. Now, you know, the, 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 the musicality behind it, the reasons why it works. And now, and then he would do that. So you understood the mechanics of each joke. It was almost like, like building a structure. And then he said, okay, now let's ground it. Now let's, let's, now that you know where, how the jokes work, how to set them up, pay them off. Let's ground the scene and to be as truthful as we can. And that was the best lesson I could have gotten in sitcom because, you know, I, I don't know that there are any good sitcom classes. Maybe there are, but I certainly didn't get to take any. So, so he was it. Well, I don't, I don't think people take the uh, craft, and I'm using the word craft as opposed to art uh, judiciously. I don't think people take the craft of sitcom acting quite as seriously because guys like, frankly, you or Matthew Perry or Ted Danson make it look very, very easy. But there are mechanics to these jokes. And there's also a way to do it where it feels kind of hacky, where they just start to get that very familiar sitcom rhythm that is just like, ba da ba 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 you know, and, and, and that can be kind of, um, uh, that can be kind of predictable and tropey. So switching gears then, your next gig after that is The Tick. It's based on a comic book. Uh, it's based on a, uh, a kind of, even by comic book standards, a kind of broadly funny uh, uh, comic book. You are in uh, costume for the majority of the show. Um, and yet, it affords more subtlety in performance. Yes, absolutely. It, it does afford more subtlety because, again, there's no audience there. Um, and the, the beauty of, 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 of film is that it doesn't lie, you know, any film, even if you're doing a sitcom, it's camera just doesn't lie. So you, you can, subtext will just ooze out of you just if you allow it to, you don't have to lay it on thick, you know, um, you just have to feel it and it, it'll, you know, you'll see it in the face somehow, you know, and, and with, with that particular, um, you know, show. It's interesting. I, I, I immediately when when I finished suddenly Susan, my 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 job was, and I'd heard Matthew Perry. I think it was Matthew Perry talk about this. No, it was 
Eric McCormick. I think it was, yeah. Yes, Eric McCormick. He said, uh, he goes, my job now is to murder my character, you know? Yeah, and, and it's a really good point. And uh, I've heard different actors talk about it differently. Um, you know, other actors say, you know, I actually write a letter to my character saying goodbye and, and thanking that character for it. And there's something really beautiful about that because it's almost like saying, no, I, I'm not murdering you. I'm just... I'm just letting you go for a while and thanking you for the experience. It's interesting. But look, for all intents and purposes, you want to do something completely different than what you just did. And sure enough, I'm I'm lucky enough to actually get an offer. You know, I, up until then, all I was doing is auditioning. And I was like, it's an offer to do, you know, this, this pilot called The Tick for Fox. And it's the role of Batman. Well, I go, how hilarious. Uh, I have a feeling there's going to be an accent. <laughs> And I go, the last thing I need to do now, everyone, every casting director in this town that I, I go see assumes I have an accent now because I had this accent for four years. I, I, I now I'm going to jump into another series with a, another accent. But as soon as I read that material, I was like, are you, I mean, there's no way I could say no to this. This is just so brilliant. It's so smart. It's so different. And, uh, and, and so I, I dove into that. And absolutely to your point, I go, this will lend itself to much more subtlety than I was allowed to do on, on Suddenly Susan. You know, I, I try to do as much as I could, you know, you try and find stuff. But, um, but I was like, this is, this will be a completely different experience in that way. And plus I'm in a costume and the whole thing. So it was, it was an extraordinary experience. And, and it was amazing because the writers, when we showed up for the table read of, of the pilot, they hadn't yet gotten a, a showrunner behind Ben Edlund, who was the creator of The Tick, and he was going to have someone sort of shepherd him or sort of, you know, co-showrun it with him. And I, I, we saw, we sit there and, and it's a packed room. And it's a packed room also of some of the most amazing comedy writers. And I'm going from everywhere. I mean, Larry Charles is there. We have, you know, we have, uh, uh, I'm, I'm blanking on uh, the, the creator of News Radio. We have... Um, all these tremendous showrunners and writers, I go, oh, this is, this is, I've, I've, this is, I've never been in this situation. Sure enough, Larry Charles uh, ended up uh, joining us and, and uh, was a co-creator, a co-showrunner on that show. Larry Charles, who's gone on to do Curb Your Enthusiasm. And, yeah, and Borat and, you know, and yeah, direct yeah. that as well. Yeah, yeah. So, so it was an extraordinary experience. It was, you know, it was short-lived and, you know, we only did, I think, nine or 10 and, but we were up against Survivor, you know, and at that, you know, it was, it was a, Particularly, it was a juggernaut back then, and and uh, and you're right. It was ahead of its time. It was a show that back then there weren't any single camera comedies like that. I think Malcolm in the Middle was maybe a little bit after that, right around there, maybe after that, right around the same. There, I think they're 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 contemporaneous. Um, it's interesting because um, you know we talk about shows that flopped in in 1999, but if your show flopped in 1999, you probably flopped with about 15 million viewers. It's so funny you say that. You're so right. I mean, now, yes. I mean, you can't even uh, you can't even hope for a number like that now. You flopped with like the kind of numbers that right now would get you six seasons and a movie, and it's um, it's so funny. You look back at like trade announcements from from '99 or 2000, and you're like, "Wow, this is it." Really, really disappointed with uh, 16 in the demo, huh? That's that's heartbreaking. God, how will they ever recover? <laughs> Isn't that incredible? It's amazing. I mean, you know, it's so, it's so, uh, you know, uh, uh, fractionalized now, you know, the marketplace that, that you can, and you can, now you can perform in a vacuum. I mean, you're, you're essentially, you're like, you know, you could be working and no one's seeing it because there's just so many outlets. It is remarkable, but you've got, you've got this great streak going here. So, so a little while later, I'm noticing there's this interesting 
trend in in your resume to you know you pop into kind of high stakes situations you know you're the you're the first uh show on a flat on a new network you're the you're in the first show uh on a new streaming service um you you hop on to in the in early in its run but when it's already established a show like lost which we're going to talk about for a moment now what is it like i mean because that show was a phenomenon very quickly and you joined i should have it in front of me two, no, no season two I, I i actually was in the beginning of season three episode seven and season three what is it like getting on a moving train like that that's and that's a great way to put it and it was a moving train it was you know and it's interesting because you've guessed it as well to me along with uh, doing soaps guesting is so hard it's high stakes temp work it's such high stakes temp work yeah, exactly you're you're asked to create this character you know move in and become right at home in the environment. First of all, you have to feel that out. How does everyone work here? Blah, 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 this and that. You've got to know this character inside out. You've got to fit in seamlessly with the way it's being executed. And, uh, and, and then you got to, and then off you go, you know, and, and you did your job. So to me, all of that training, I think is, is great training for actors, you know? So I, I encourage any actor to go out there and do as much guesswork as you can. Um, and so, so really the lost experience was just another guest star. I was going to be in, um, uh, the character's name is Juliet. Elizabeth Mitchell is brilliant in, in, in that role and brilliant in general. And I was just going to be a, a flashback, uh, you know, in her episode and, you know, this, this sort of sinister guy who kills her husband and recruits her and this and that. And so, but I remember my wife was an, it was an actress, you know, she said, you know, th this was her favorite show and I started watching, but I lost a thread. And so I couldn't, back then there was no, I don't know if there was TiVo at the time, but I just, or we hadn't TiVo. No, it was TiVo. I just, you know, I'd lost the thread and I was like, oh, I was too busy trying to get work. It's a massive commitment. It's a, it's 22 episodes a season. It's a massive commitment. It's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. And I think at that time they were doing 24, you know, so, so sure enough, I, I was, uh, but when she said, you know, if either one of us gets an opportunity to do Lost as a guest, we're, the whole family's flying over there. I'm like, all right, fine, whatever. It's like, yeah, like that's going to happen. And sure enough, um, I get this audition for Lost and it's the day before I get like 13 pages and I'm going, you've got, and you know, it's just monologues. And I'm like, oh my God, this is, I don't want to blow it on this, you know, my one chance and April Webster's going to see me just tank this and this is not good. She's a cast. April Webster is a super, I mean, really connected, really prolific casting director out here. I mean, she's, she's somebody you want to go in and dazzle. Exactly. And she's a, and also a tremendous person. She's just lovely. She's amazing. A real actor's casting director. I mean, she is just a real champion of actors. So I thought, oh, I don't want to go in there just, just, you know, completely just, just, you know, embarrass myself. And, and so I was like, I'm just not going to go in. There's no way I want to do this justice. And it's, it's, you know, the night before. So sure enough, uh, I, I look at it. I work on it a little bit. I get up the next morning and I was like, do I go in? Do I not go in? It's, you know, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to take a chance. So on a, on a lark, it's one of those things. And I don't know, you know, if you've had this experience, John, that sometimes in the room it comes together and sometimes it just doesn't. <laughs> and in that particular uh, 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 you know, experience in that particular time, it, it was one of those things where the role for me in that room, it came together and there was one writer in there and I was on tape and, and I was like, yeah, I think, I think that felt, that felt right, you know? And so then I walked out and, and sure enough, two hours later, I got a call. I was like, you're going to Hawaii. And then, and then, and then I did not come through 
and have the whole family come. I was like, well, we can't just all go now. I mean, it's crazy. I go, let's, you know, let's, let's definitely do a trip after, but you know, not, I go, let me just bang this out. And it's just one episode. So I did it. And lo and behold, I, you know, it felt fun. It was so much fun. I mean, Um, you get flown to Oahu first class. You could do worse, you know. It could be a lot worse. And I was like, this is like, and it's like an incredible show. And, and, and there was, and in in a sense, there was no pressure. Uh, There was because it's a big hit, but, but because it's, oh, it's a flashback episode. There's no promise of this character ever coming back. So it's not like I'm like, I have the weight of like, oh, I better nail this. So, cause you know, there's this whole arc being built for me. It was sort of, in that sense, it was a slightly lower stakes than normal. You know, there's no, and also the crew. So if you've ever had a chance to work in, in Hawaii, you're, you know, the local crew is, it's just the attitude there. It's just so healthy. It's just, it's, it's the, Hey man, you know, life is good. And I remember the AD was like, how are you doing? He goes, you know, man, my life is beautiful. Life is beautiful. The least stressed assistant director in the business. That's exactly right. And I'm thinking- I'm going to hold on to this man's energy right now as I get through this high stakes, you know, somewhat somewhat higher stakes guest star than normal because of the visibility of the show. And I did. I latched onto his energy and I just sort of tried as and, and generally the whole crew. And, and you know, I, and it, thankfully it worked enough that they, you know, five weeks later after it aired, they're like, do we want you back on on land? I go, wow, another another flashback? They're like, no, in the present. I go, oh. Okay. All right. And it, and they grew from there. And it was just one of those surprises that my wife always says as an actor, because if, if you, if you think this is going to be the break, this is going to be the one that is going to, you know, move mountains for you in this business, because don't, don't ever think any one job, it's, it's too much pressure and, and you just don't know. So, so Shannon always, as I always told me, uh, I don't know how she came up with this number, but she's like, it takes 52 breaks. So it's just, I don't know how she came to that sort of uh, algorithm, but- No, I'm working on my calculator right now. And actually she's, she's right. 52 is correct. That's that's correct. Yeah. It is 52. one's not going to do it. No, it isn't. I got the, well, I'll show you the whiteboard. <laughs> but uh, but it's a very healthy way to look at it. It's like, don't put too much, it, 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 and any one of these maybe, but, but make it 52. You know, when you get there, we'll talk. Did you have to then having lost the thread of the show, did you have to suddenly frantically go back and like, oh man, I got to do some homework? Oh my God. I had to ask my wife, Shannon, what, what's going on with the show? Cause I don't know what another is. What is another? I mean, what, what, what am, what am I saying here? And, and, and the other thing too, is that, you know, we, you wouldn't get any help on set. You wouldn't get much help on set because the writers are here in, in LA and we shot in Oahu. We had Jack Bender, who was a producing director, who was extraordinary. And all the other uh, guest directors would come in and they were, they weren't told much more than what was on the page, only what they needed to know. You know, and and it was back then. It was the I think it was certainly the first show I'd ever seen where your 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 name was when it was given to you was was a uh, sort of watermarked on every page, you know, so that you wouldn't disseminate it, you know, on the internet. And so it's just so secretive that you were just basically guided by the director emotionally. They're like, you feel this here. Why? I'm not so sure, but that's how you feel. So I, you know, so we had to create our own sort of history. You know, you were given more than that, but but by and large, not much more. You know, so 
you just had to, it's a great exercise for an actor to fully invest in, in, in the process and in, and trust in your director. It's also interesting that, you know, you create your own history, but also be ready to throw it out the window when they tell you that you're basically immortal. And, uh, uh you know, by the way, you've, uh, you've met Terry O'Quinn when he was a kid and. <laughs> oh, I was, I was wrong every week, it, but it wasn't a question of being right. It was a question of investing. You know, and, and as long as you commit to it and as long as you're emotionally in the range, don't worry about it. It's just make the choice and, and really believe it. And the, and the audience will, will go along with you. So, so it was a great exercise. Yeah, no, I, I love that. What's interesting about your work in in recent years is that you you play a lot of guys who who really have their shit together you know you, whether it's the sheriff on Bates Motel or you know these are these are kind of like Richard Alpert these are guys who who are kind of in control um until of course that they're inevitably not but you know generally there's a certain swagger that they have what's interesting about your work on the morning show it's the first time we see you do your job on the morning show. You're not great at it. You know, you're thrust in the morning after these horrible revelations. You're a weatherman. You're asked to do hard news. We find out why you're so uncomfortable. But is it hard to play that level of incompetence? Incompetence is a strong word, but you know what I'm saying. Um, and not play it for laughs? First of all, I got to say, this is it, you're so kind, man. You're so kind. And I can't believe you watched all of this. Well, I like to do my homework. I'm beyond flattered. I mean, that is crazy. And this probably, you know, not good for my ego, okay? <laughs> or phenomenal for your ego. It's not great for your family that I'm treating your ego this way. They, they do a good job of beating me up every day. Um, you know, they're like, Dad, uh, make me a sandwich. I mean, it's that's what I am around here. So, no, but this is very nice of you. Thank you. Um, was it... Uh, hard to go to play from sort of an unflappable characters to this this buffoon. The irony is, I'm more like the buffoon than anything. Okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, as as you know, as an actor yourself, you know, you you draw from pieces of you, and um, and I I you know, there's out there are times when I I like to think I'm fairly put together, and then there are times when I know that I am just an idiot, you know, and that I am just a you know, I'm just a clumsy. I'm particularly clumsy. I am, you know, I have to work on that. Um, yeah, you, you know, you, you know, and, and that's all from, you know, I'm sure with your training too, is you, you draw from, from yourself, you draw from elements of yourself. And, uh, for me, it was also, this is an experience going from, from that character on Bates Motel, the sheriff, you know, to, I, I, I had the, the luxury of, of working with Carrie Aaron on that show. And she's a showrunner of, of, of Bates Motel and now also the showrunner of Morning Show. So when, when the Morning Show, when she got that job and, and she said, look, I can't, give you a role on this one because, but you know, I can have you audition for one. What would you like to play? And I go, well, I've never played a weatherman and I've always been intrigued by weathermen. You know, I, I just think that's just such a, well, I'll tell you why, because, because they, they take their role seriously, you know, and, and, and they're not taken seriously, you know, or, or as seriously as, you know, as certainly other positions as anchors, you know, and it and they've been sort of rendered almost obsolete in terms of what they're the information they're given because of you know the iPhone. I mean, you can get a ten day forecast. It's not a particularly. It's not always accurate. And it's not you know sometimes sometimes it is, but um, but so they've almost been rendered sort of obsolete because of that. 
but now they're personalities as well. They're, they're the, they're, you tune in. I mean, Al Roker, I found out, would pre-sell. They would pre-sell his time for crazy amounts of money because people just want the comfort of Al Roker's voice in the background as they're making breakfast, you know? And, you know, and maybe hearing, oh, yeah, yeah, Chicago is going to be, you know, windy, this and that. So it becomes more of like, yeah, you know, I, you know, I like the weatherman there. And, it, and it's, and it's, an, and I always thought that would be fantastic coming off playing this, this badass or hard ass sheriff to play a guy who's just kind of seen as a buffoon. I go, I go, that, that'd be a nice, a, a, you know, you always want to play something that you haven't played or, or recently. And so it'd be a nice thing to, to, to pivot to that. And, um, and, and yeah, so, so I, yeah, I had to, one of the first scenes I had to do was fill in the anchor and, uh, and just bumble my way through that, that scene. And, and it was fun because I was just like, well, just, you know, here's a, th- here's, a, here's a time when you can just let all your nerves out. You're sitting next to Jennifer Aniston and, uh, you're meant to, you know, crush the scene. And it's like, well, just feel the shit you usually suppress. <laughs> so, and, uh, it was fun. In fact, in fact, the, the, so I bumbled through it. I remember uh, Ronit, our, uh, our uh, script supervisor said, oh, my God, I thought – she's she's Israeli. I was my bad Israeli accent. Oh, my God, I thought you forgot your lines. And then I go, I don't know what that was, Italian? I'm not sure. But uh, but I was like, no, no, I'm, I'm I'm supposed to stutter all the way through this thing. So, so I, I, I you know, if I made Ronit believe it, then I, I, I was good about it. It's also weird because you're stumbling through I – mean, you're fumbling the ball on – let's go ahead and call it one of the top three hot button issues of our time. The show looks at um, sexual misconduct at the workplace from a bunch of different angles. And your guy's side of the street is an immaculate. Um, is it scary addressing that stuff as an actor? I mean, I think it, I think it is. And one of the, it's more really as a writer, I think, is it, cause you know, we're executing, you know, material that's written for us. So, I mean, we, you know, I, I suppose we, you know, we're, we're, and, and what you said before is so true. I, I, I believe that it, it is a craft. I don't believe it is an art. I think the writing is an art. I, I truly believe. I mean, that's that's really where the creation happens is you're conceiving something out of nothing or or you're, you know, or maybe you're turning a book into something. So that's less so. But but really, when you're conceiving something out of nothing, I think that's the art form. So I think the onus is really more on the writer, you know, in terms of what, what uh, she or he may be writing, what topic, how delicate, you know. And to Carrie Aaron's credit, she really explored all the nuances of that issue in that first season. And, and it became sort of a hot button thing. And I remember going to like, like one Christmas party in town. And, you know, I, I think the show had just started airing, like maybe, you know, a week they were airing and rolling about one, you know, like the typical traditional thing, but as a streamer once a week, three or four episodes that aired. And I went to this thing and, and, I, and a bunch of people came up to me is like, I got to tell you about that show, man. Our family is like divided on this issue. And like, some of us are really for this character and the other ones hate it. And I mean, and we're all over the place. And I was like, that's to, that's to carry Aaron's credit, you know, that she's written sort of a, this, this real water, cool, water cooler type show. And, and so, but I think the, the, the onus there is, even though we're the face of the show, 
the onus and uh, you know all of that falls on the writer and and the bravery really goes to the writer well it's interesting because the the show does not um handle things tidily there's no set bad guy with the possible exception of martin short and it's hilarious watching him play uh, a predatory villain i think that's that's ed grimley who's who's a monster all of a sudden which is a delight for for me um are there guys that you looked at when you were coming up and you're like that i want to do that that's the kind of job i want who are the kind of like who's your nestor carbon now like who, who's somebody you look up to and like oh that, that's the kind of either in terms of their craft or their actual resume is like oh i'd like i'd like to have a variety like that well thank you i i you know i mean i when you, you look back at you know you're inspired by all these great obviously the greats you know you look at pacino you look at dustin hoffman you look at all these incredible character actors i mean even going back to brando even though he was a bleeding man he was also doing such great character work. So those are the guys that I, I was always inspired by. De Niro, of course, you know, it's, it's particularly in the early days when he was just going from one, you know, character to, you're like, wow, this guy's just morphing, you know? Uh, so those are, those are the greats that, that, that obviously inspired me to, to start, you know, to, to get into it and want to do that and have that kind of uh, Daniel Day Lewis is another one, you know, you know, you know, he's, he's younger than those guys, but still, you know, those are the, to me, the obvious guys in Meryl Streep, that that you go if I had you know a, a hundredth of of, of uh, the career of these people in terms of the variety and that kind of thing that would be you know an enormous thing for me to get to do um, and then you know and then sort of I've I've had the opportunity thankfully to work with a, a lot of characters like character actors like Gary Oldman for instance that you're like this is a guy whose career I mean my God to to play. Sid Vicious, you know, in one film, and then you know, fifteen or twenty years later, it's a you know, to play Winston Churchill, and you're like, this is the same guy, and this is you know, so these are you know, and and you know, he was playing on on the Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises, you know, Commissioner Gordon, um, you know, not as big a stretch for him, but again, that's a guy with the American accent, and to him, it's nothing, you know, he's a Brit, but um, this is a guy with an incredible range, you know, um, so if if I could have any of that, you know, and, and try and do any of that. Yes. I, I, that would be a, a dream. So, um, I'm not there yet. <laughs> I'll keep, I'll keep going until they, until, until they pull me away. Um, you, you've transitioned recently into directing, uh, episodic. Um, what do you take from your experience as an actor and bring to that side of it? Aside from everything, obviously, but <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a great question. Uh, that, I mean, that's the what the first asset we have, you know, as as actors is is you know that's what we we the first thing we can bring to the table as as a director is well, I think I know how to talk to an actor until you get to direct, <laughs> you realize. God, wow, we're a mixed bag, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, there's no one one secret password any of us have. Yeah. No, no, and especially if it's your own cast, you're like, oh, okay, oh, I prickly much? Yeah, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I've been very lucky. The casts I've worked with are ridiculous, they're amazing, but uh, and the opportunity to direct is 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 extremely unique. It, it, it doesn't come often enough, and thanks to to Carlton Cuse. He opened that door for me on Bates Motel, you know, I, uh, and he was able to, um, to, so to me bringing, uh, certainly the acting to it. And then, you know, I'm, uh, I think I mentioned to you before, I used to draw and paint. So visually, sorry, there goes, a, I'm a lovely dog. Visually, I've, I've always sort of had, you know, I've always had sort of, I looked at things in a visual, visual sense, 
framing is something I've always been sort of conscious of. What I didn't know naturally was, was the technical side, you know, uh, all of that camera. I didn't know. I didn't know lenses. I didn't know any of that stuff. So that stuff I had to learn on the fly. So thanks to Carlton and, and, and Carrie Aaron and everyone on, on uh, Bates Motel, I, I basically got a crash course in, in film school and I was thrown to the wolves when a dire- director dropped out and, um, you know, and uh, having shadowed our, our, our producing director, Tucker Gates, was able to step in with a lot of help and, uh, and, and learn a lot and, and add what I could. The one thing Vera Farmiga did tell me, uh, who was the, you know, played Norma Bates on, on Bates Motel, which is really valuable. Uh, it, it was something that someone told her when she directed her film, Higher Ground, uh, her first film as a director. And uh, they said, don't pretend to know everything because you don't. And avail yourself of everyone else's talents because you're surrounded by enormously talented people. It's your job, she essentially said, to pick and choose. Okay, they give you choices. Okay, you decide on the choice. But don't don't go around there thinking you know everything because you obviously don't. And it was very freeing, very freeing. Was there and, – and this is, this is going to be the one uh, – some people – don't love to talk. I love talking about stuff like this. There's people who are like, I'd rather not. Was there a role that got away from you? Was there a role that you were like, oh man, that could have been a game changer or at the very least a lot of fun? Roles, roles. I got a plural. Yes. (laughs) Um, There, there was one in particular. And I think, you know, you can, you never know what what roles can define or change you. And, you know, you can second guess and who knows, you know, I mean, this is, it's a crazy business, a crazy life. I mean, who knows, you know, you so there was one role in particular, though, that, and this is interesting. And this is back, you know, as you know, uh, when when there was a big divide between film and TV for actors. It, you, there wasn't much crossover. Really, Clooney, I think, was the first to really, really make that crossover in a big way. You know, off of ER and then off to his film career. I might, I might go Bruce Willis if you want to go a few years before. Oh, that. oh, oh, yeah. You know, you're absolutely right. Bruce Willis was, yeah, yeah, between Moonlighting and then obviously Die Hard. Yes, you're absolutely. But right. yeah, no, it was rare. It was they were there were two different camps. You're, yes, I, no question about it. And 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 there was a real snobbery about that. It was like, oh, your TV, oh, your film. It's like there was back then. There was now it's a, a completely different ballgame. But back then there was, and and I remember having done Muscle, you know, that that sitcom for the WB. Finishing that, you know, no one saw it, sadly. And, you know, the, the Nielsen ratings weren't kind to us back then. And so we were, we did 13 rather. And, and uh, so they, they, uh, they, they cut us. And then I auditioned for Courage Under Fire, which was uh, Ed Zwick film. Um, and, and it was one of those things where it, it was working. It was, it was great. It was, and it, it was uh, Johnny Monfries was, was the name of the role. And it was a, a sizable role. And it was, you know, Denzel Washington and Meg Ryan. Uh, Matt Damon ended up playing another part. And and I knew Matt from, we were good friends from Harvard, you know, so. so Were you guys in an acting class together? Did I read that? We were. We were in the, we were in both the yeah. Jeremy Guide acting class and in the David Wheeler class. So we were. Wow. And we were roommates in, you know, in New York as well at one point. But I remember Matt, Matt had just, I think Goodwill Hunting, I think it was, I don't know if they'd shot it yet. Or it was, or or they're they're about to shoot it. Anyway, so he was he was really getting some heat, you know, and and he got and he landed this role, you know, on the film, and I auditioned for it. But I remember this is how I got away from me. I I had I went in for four or five times, you know, and then at one point it was with a group of actors, you know, you know, and uh, you know to to play the different parts, and then finally the last thing he couldn't decide, so he said, "Look, I need to do one more read with you and Denzel." This is Edward Zwick. Exactly. So Ed Zwick, the director, said, I need you to come in and it's down to you and, and Lou Diamond Phillips. And at that point, I, 
I, I have, I may be wrong, but at that point I, w- I, I felt like the front runner, you know, I was going in first, you never know, you never know, but I learned a ma- massive lesson and I went in and I, I every time I went in, I, I felt good about it. That last time when I read with Denzel, I got in my head and that was one where I was like, it was okay. It was okay. But I wasn't as present as I had been in previous auditions. And, and sure enough, he took a month to decide after that. And I thought, oh no. And then it didn't go my way, obviously. And Lou did a great job. I think had I potentially done that film, I would have been maybe put in the film camp. And uh, I didn't get that, 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 that role. And I ended up auditioning for Suddenly Susan not long after that. And I ended up going more of the TV route, you know, once I did that show. And, and, and it was fine and it was great. And, it, and, it, and, you know, either course I think would have been great, but I, I know that it, it would have been a different course for sure. Uh, I think had I gone down that road, it's hard to, it's hard to second guess stuff like that. And all we love to do is second guess stuff like that and, and, and play the what if game. But I mean, it's not like, you know, I mean, you're in a couple iconic superhero movies. You could do far worse. You're the mayor of Gotham for fuck's sake. <laughs> I'll shut up now. No, but yeah, but the, but listen, yes, you're right. We're actors. We're in our heads. That's where we love to live and we love to play the worst case scenario because that's what we're trained to do. <laughs> that, I, that, this has been delightful. I could do this all day. Nestor, thank you so much for uh, for taking the time. Uh, I, I hope I hope you enjoyed yourself. Um, I certainly did. Well, thank you so much. And talking about yourself is, you know, you spoiled me, man. I mean, now, now I got to go back to reality and deal with these kids who won't even look at me. Um, but I hope... Hope when I see you around the neighborhood, you know, I hope my dog doesn't bite yours. I, I hope our dogs are nice to each other. I hope our dogs are really nice to each other. <laughs> I really hope mine is, that's for sure. Thank you, John. I was really, really great speaking with you, man. And I want to hear about your career next. Uh, at some point. We'll, 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 we'll have coffee. I love it. <laughs> I would look forward to that. And that is an episode wrap on Nestor Carbonell. You can follow Nestor on Instagram. He's at Nestor Carbonell. On Twitter, he's at Carbonell Nestor. The new season of The Morning Show drops September 17th. Please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please make sure to follow us at Household Faces on Twitter and Instagram. Until next time, where's Crafty? Forever. Dog. Household Faces is a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by John Ross Bowie, Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Produced by Ben Blacker. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcast.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.